Hello and welcome to Martially Motivated. I'm your host, Dan Burrell from Burrell Martial Arts here in Wilmington, North Carolina. Um, today we are discussing fear. Uh, I again use my uh, pamphlet handout that I use uh, for my self-defense classes. It's a prevention and awareness and I discuss uh, fear pretty briefly in class, but uh, we go over some, um, some demonstrations, I guess, and stories, uh, which I'll go through today. But explaining fear, what the, the point of it is, where it comes from, how to be freer of fear, um, how to plan for it, um, and even how to try and avoid it um, in certain situations. So, I hope you enjoy. So today we're going to be talking about fear. Uh, as usual, I've mentioned this numerous times, you're going to keep hearing me say it, but there's a lot of great books out there uh, that I draw information from beyond just personal experiences and my own training. Uh, the Gift of Fear is obvious that I'm going to be quoting a lot of stuff from here. Uh, I believe I've taken some stuff from um, uh, On Combat, um, whether or not it's, all the stuff is coming from directly fear or not, uh, I don't recall. Um, but on combat, uh, gift of fear, um, anything with Rory Miller. I, I think last podcast or podcast or two ago, uh, I was saying McDonald. I was thinking a UFC fighter. <laughs> so uh, Rory Miller is uh, the guy I was thinking of. Um, great uh, author, a lot of great books. Um, so those are three major ones uh, I would suggest when it comes to the, some of the stuff we're talking about here. Um, so let's jump into controlling fear to begin with. Uh, I'm just going to read through, uh, if I haven't explained this before, I'm basically reading through my prevention and awareness handbook. I give this out to um, anyone that does one of my self-defense classes or really any student that's, uh, that I think could use it. Um, uh, I give it out to them. And so I'm just going through some of the sections uh, here. And this is uh, still part of section one. We've jumped around a little bit. Um, but... Nonetheless, uh, I'm just reading through my pamphlet here that I put together. So, controlling fear. Uh, when you are surprised or startled by an unexpected threat perception, that's an important word, we're going to talk about that later, uh, fear manifests and activates the SNS, uh, which will cat be catastrophic uh, to cognitive processing. Um, if you don't remember, SNS is sympathetic nervous system, that's what happens. Uh, that's the, the fight or flight or freeze, uh, more commonly used term for that. Essentially, you, you freeze up um, or you punch something really hard or you run away. Um, or you do whatever your training is. Uh, but most people don't train, so they do one of those first three, and usually it's freeze for most people. Um, but nonetheless, that's uh, fear can trigger that because it, it skyrockets your heart rate, and that's what sets off the SNS. Um some causes of fear, uh, awareness of an imminent threat perception resulting in serious injury or death. Again, that word perception is coming up. Uh, I will go deeper into that, but keep in the back of your mind. Um, it's about perception of fear. All right. Threat uh, is within close proximity and the time needed to respond to threat is minimal. Uh, this too is important because it's everything I try and teach when it comes to the mental side of things, uh, the prevention and the awareness side. 
If you can spot it from a distance, you can deal with it much easier because you can prepare. But when it comes out of nowhere and there's no time to really deal with it, you're kind of screwed. And all the bad things are going to happen at once. So recognizing uh, that fear or a threat from a distance is crucial. Uh, there is little chance for escape. Uh, that was the third one there for causes of fear. Um, so notice these are life-threatening things that pop up. Real fear is based off of uh, your life being in danger. Um, and again, we'll jump deeper into that as we go on through here. Um, to increase awareness and avoid losing control of the SNS, sympathetic nervous system, do the following. Never make contact with a known hostile subject alone. Uh, be conscious of your appearance and know your limitations. Uh, it wouldn't regard to this when I set up, uh, specifically when I, I talk to uh, women about self-defense, uh, I ask them more so than men. They, women tend to dress differently, uh, <laughs> thankfully, uh, than men. Um, so things like dresses and high heels or jewelry can be a hindrance when it comes to self-defense or even just running away. Um, so compared to a, a guy that you know typically wears jeans or pants, shorts, uh, and just regular shoes, nothing that hinders too much from your movement. Um, so there's a bit of a difference there. So a lot of times I'll tell people, uh, especially if it's a closed uh, private session, to wear what you would normally wear in the places you feel most vulnerable which for a lot of people is outside the house, obviously, but at their place of work or on their way to, play, to, to work or uh, coming home from their place of work, um, those are the places that you're most likely to be attacked. So wear what you would normally wear at that time. If you come to class and you're wearing uh, workout clothes and uh, sneakers, and that's fine and all, it's much easier to do the class that way, but then you go to work and you're wearing high heels and tight dresses uh, and a lot of jewelry, it's not going to work the same. A lot of what I teach you will go out the window pretty quick if you're not used to it. But if you use that stuff in class, uh, we can adjust. And I can explain how you're not going to be able to throw a bunch of kicks going here. Uh, your running may be impaired, so you're going to have to do this or do that or know to kick off your high heels or use your jewelry for this, you know, whatever it may be. Um, there are limitations sometimes. And like I said, with the jewelry, it could actually be used in um, your defense. Um, so it's not all bad. You just have to recognize what it is and what it's going to do. All right. Back to this. Um, never allow yourself to enter an environment in which escape would be difficult. Uh, this too, I, I talk about, um, I've talked to uh, a lot of uh, real estate people, realtors. Um, I've done classes just for some uh, realtors before. And some of the questions I, that come up are great questions that I've actually applied to some of my self-defense classes. And it kind of regards to this. Uh, specifically, I had somebody tell me once that she was showing a house and the guy that wanted to uh, was looking at buying she didn't know him it was the first time they met but it wasn't that she felt uneasy it's just that she didn't know who this guy was and he was a larger man 
and she was showing the house and he wanted to see this uh, deep walk-in closet that it uh, there was really no escape out of and he wanted to go in there and she said thankfully that she just kind of pointed it out and let him go in there versus both of them going in but that can be disastrous because uh, there's nowhere to go um, so I gave her and, uh, and everyone else in the class some advice when it comes to stuff like that um, one, there's a lot of stuff when it comes to, to real estate um, that I won't go into on this podcast anyway or on this episode because uh, it doesn't really relate to fear. But um, there's a lot of things that you can do ahead of time to prepare. Um, and this was one of them when it comes to being able to escape a, a spot. If there's no way around it, there's a couple things you can do. And assuming you don't have uh, someone kind of on standby to call or contact that's waiting for you to notify you or notify them of the all clear. But in that specific scenario, I said, yeah, go ahead, uh, look through there. Um, I'm going to go out and grab a ruler, purposely leave something uh, in the, the vehicle so that if you're feeling uneasy, you can get out without it being suspicious. So, oh, I forgot my tape measure in the car. Let me go get that. Um, yeah, you can go off and do this and then call somebody and say, hey, I'm having an uneasy feeling about this person sending somebody over quick. Um, and hopefully there's somebody waiting to do that because you would have set it up ahead of time to, to know what to do. Um, so uh, that, uh, just a quick little story there uh, for not getting trapped in somewhere. Um, another element to this that as a martial artist over the years, it, it's apparent because I teach these things on a regular basis. Uh, but for the average person, this is going to sound somewhat paranoia-ish. But knowing where second exits are at all times. The, every room in a house should have uh, two means of egress, which means two exits. Um, for most rooms, uh, it's usually a window, but it could be another door. Uh, know where those are at. So... If somebody walks through the main door, know how to escape somewhere else in that room. All right. Legally, there should be another means of ingress. Um, it's not always the case. There are ways around it. Um, my room growing up actually uh, only had one entrance to it. There, there wasn't even any windows. I think it's probably illegal. But um, I believe my dad made it. My dad made this, by the way, the, the basement. So... Um, he purposely didn't put a door on that room. Um, so my room didn't actually have a door to it. Uh, it went into another room, which then went into uh, another room from there. Um, but those two rooms had windows to get out of. So it's kind of a fire hazard if you, you don't have a second means of ingress. So uh, that's what I mean by know where those second uh, uh, escape routes are. So whenever you walk in a room, just look around. Uh, Again, it may seem paranoia, uh, being paranoid to constantly looking where escapes are when you're just going out for a drink or talking to somebody, but uh, just get used to really observing what's going on around you. All right, um, back to the fear. Uh, let's see. Next one, always maintain a minimum distance of, here it says 10 feet. I believe this has changed, um, and it kind of depends on what, you we're talking about here. I would much prefer more than that, um, but I 
do recall uh, it for law enforcement when drawing a gun or weapon, uh, it was 10 feet for a while. And I believe Dan Inosanto changed that <laughs> and proved otherwise. Um, if you want to know what I'm talking about, uh, you can look up uh, his name, Dan Inosanto. I believe he was the one that did it. Um, he basically told the police department he was talking to that 10 feet is not enough, that if they tried to draw their weapon um, in that 10 feet range, he would have stabbed them before they got a shot off. And he proved it. And because he's great with knives and sticks, he's a great self-defense guy. I believe he uh, was a student of Bruce Lee or worked with Bruce Lee. Um, but nonetheless, uh, when the, they were at 10 feet, the law enforcement went to go draw the weapon to fire, and he threw a knife at them. And it made him fumble for a second as he was running towards them. And so they reassembled and tried to make a second shot, and he threw another one at them. And then as they collected themselves again, he had got to them and stabbed them. Um, so I think they moved that back to about 20 feet. <laughs> and so I would say the same thing. The, the more distance, the better. But uh, here it says 10 feet uh, just for a threat. But know how fast somebody could move in from 10 feet. It, it is a blink of an eye, if they, especially if they know what they're doing. Um, so... Keep your distance. The, the more distance you have, the, the longer you have to prepare for something. All right. Be willing to retreat from a subject when aggression is apparent. Uh, you can end that at be willing to retreat. It, it's, it's frustrating how many people are unwilling to retreat. They feel they have to stay and fight for some reason. Uh, that's not always the case. There's always an option to retreat as long as you follow my previous rule of don't get stuck into uh, a place with no escape. So uh, always be willing to retreat. It's your life we're talking about here. So unless your child or family member is being harmed, just take off running. It's so much safer that way. All right. In uh, the last one of this group, the use tactical breathing. Uh, I don't recall if this was um, which book this was from. It's going to be one of those three that I mentioned, I, I'm certain. Um, you can call a lot of different things, and I've, I've read this through multiple ways. Not There's only one place I saw tactical breathing, and that's usually what I call it just because it, it fits with what we're doing. But uh, meditation books, I've read this exact same thing or variations of it. But uh, essentially, when it comes to the SNS um, and involuntary uh, reactions, which we've talked about before, the only way you can control this is to control your breathing because it's based for the most part on your heart rate. Um, really more what causes the heart rate because you could exercise yourself uh, into a really high, you know, say 200 beats per minute and not actually go into SNS because you did it yourself and it was kind of a slow way up there. But um, when it's activated, that's generally uh, involuntary. So the only way to control that is to control your breathing, all right? And so for tactical breathing, they have it listed as four seconds of inhaling, four second hold that breath, four second exhale, and then a four second pause before repeating. And then they generally say about four times in a row, um, you just keep going until you know the cognitive thought is back and you know to change things. Um, so the four can be changed 
uh, and how you breathe in can be changed. I usually tell students breathe in through the nose and breathe out through the mouth. Uh, not everybody agrees, and that's fine. I've heard uh, good evidence of saying just go through the mouth. Um, but uh, you can get more oxygen in when you go through the nose than the mouth, um, from what I understand. Um, but the, the four seconds, for some people, that's really difficult to actually breathe in, very smooth breathing in for four seconds. Um, I've heard three, I've heard eight try doing eight and see how difficult that is most people struggle just making four which is why i suggest four as well as they do um, i have my youth students do this uh, in particular for the after school when they get dressed out and ready for class uh, instead of standing in line they will actually sit in line and work on their breathing they close their eyes back straight legs crossed eyes closed and breathe in for four seconds through the nose i tell them Hold for four seconds, breathe out through the mouth for four seconds, and pause for four seconds before repeating. Um, you have to train it. You can't just go, okay, I'll know what to do. It's not going to work that way. We've talked before, when you hit that SNS, uh, the cognitive thought is not going to be there because there's no blood to that part of the brain. It's only going to be in that uh, reptilian part of the brain, the lower brain that's instinctive. So if you trained yourself, to breathe this way uh, consistently um, and through, let's say, sparring or if you're working on uh, situational sparring like we do with our, uh, let's say, our Hapkido class, you just kind of stand there and then an, uh, an attacker jumps out and does whatever they want. You have to respond somehow. Um, and usually I, I'll tell them to do a bear hug or throw a punch or put them in a headlock, whatever it may be. That would be our situational sparring. So it's unexpected, kind of an impromptu response, and they get to choose how to defend. But you should be breathing like this through that process um, so that when you're startled and that fear kicks in, because if it's too close, you don't know what it is, and you start breathing this way, uh, it'll bring that heart rate back down, which will allow you to start thinking clearly. So understand that technical breathing is going to help with the cognitive thought and movement of limbs, your fingers and um, being able to see clearly and hear clearly is all dependent on you getting that heart rate back down. And that's what that tactical breathing will do. It slows it down for you. All right. Uh, unnecessary fear can lead to not recognizing the actual problem. Too busy thinking rather than letting your senses take over. All right. Um, you can get caught into that loop of, oh crap, oh crap, oh crap, oh crap, over and over. It's just whatever that last word was or sentence was that you were saying when you got startled, it's just going to repeat in your brain on a loop until the breathing kicks back in properly and the heart rate goes back down. And usually by then, it, it, it's over. Whatever happened, happened. Um, so don't let uh, that unnecessary fear uh lead into not recognizing the actual problem. Breathe and then think uh, or respond. Some rules of fear. If you fear something, it is not happening. All right. Go back to what I said twice before. Perception. Uh, quick story. This is one I usually say in my self-defense classes. Um, I usually use a, a snake or a spider, wh whatever works for you. 
Um, I usually call it a snake, but I tell people, imagine your greatest fear and put it into a creature or an object in the corner across the room. So I mention it as a poisonous or excuse me, venomous snake, um, and it looks mean. All right, so it's across the room, and let's say you have a fear of snakes. Um, you're not going to feel easy about this. That fear is going to start kicking in. The, the heart rate's going to jump up, and uh, you may hit that SNS even when it's far away. So, excuse me. Why? That's the question I present to everybody. Why are you afraid of that snake that is 10, 20 feet away? Um, possibly more. And they say, well, it, it's venomous, and I'm, I have a fear of snakes. It's going to kill me. Okay, it's, it's reasonable, um, but it's all the way across the room, and it's not killing you. So why are you afraid? And so I, then I go on and say, okay, let's keep moving. That snake is now crawled towards you, and it's right at your feet. Now, what are you afraid of? And that fear of that snake being on the other side of the room, that they were afraid of it coming near them to bite them and kill them, they're no longer afraid of that snake getting near them. It's already there. Now they're thinking about, oh no, it's at my feet, it's going to bite me. Okay. And let's move on. It bit you. Now, are you afraid of it biting you? No, it's already bit me. Now, what are you afraid of? The fear gone? It's bit you. It's over. No, now I'm afraid of the venom going through my veins and dying. Like, ah, okay. So, you're afraid of dying now? Yes. Are you still afraid of the snake? <laughs> uh, the point of this is if you look at the... Let's start it back at that snake being in the corner of the room. You were afraid of that snake getting close to you. All right, it wasn't. But then it did. It got close to you. And now it's at your feet. And now you are no longer afraid of it getting close to you. You were afraid of it biting you. Your fear changed. Not really, which we'll discuss. But essentially the, the result changed. So it transitioned. You're now afraid of it biting you. So then it bites you. You're no longer afraid of it biting you because it already did. Now you're afraid of dying from this bite and the, vi and the venom. So notice what's happening here. You were never actually afraid of what was happening. You were afraid of what you thought might happen. So when that snake was on the other side of the room, you were afraid really of dying. But you had said in your mind, you were afraid of that snake getting close to you, which then would have that chain reaction of biting and then dying. So it's rational to be afraid that you're going to die from that snake bite. But understand, you're not actually afraid of what's happening. That what That's what could happen. So if it's not happening, that means you have time to do something about it. When that snake is across the room, leave. Call pest control, whatever. It, you don't have to sit there and wait for that thing to come near you to bite you and then kill you. And that's the point of this uh, when it comes to fear, and really all of this uh, is prevention and awareness. 
be prepared and be aware so know what to do when that threat is across the room don't wait for it to get next to you before you do anything all right you're afraid what's going to happen next not what's happening now so let it go move on it's easy to say not easy to do but the the more your mind is told that what you're afraid of is not what's actually happening the easier it is to deal with this stuff and the lower that heart rate will drop all right next rule of fear what you fear is rarely what you think you fear it is what you link to fear all right uh, basically it's what we we're just talking about uh, real fear will either be in the presence of danger or it will link to pain or death so it's not really that snake that you're afraid of it's the death that it could bring all right um, now the phobias and whatnot um, you know, afraid of heights. You're not really afraid of heights. You're afraid of falling. Not even really afraid of the falling. You're afraid of hitting the ground from a distance. Um, again, that links to the death and pain, not because you're on a ladder. You're not afraid of the ladder. You're afraid of what may happen if you go up that ladder. Um, so understand the difference between those two and then the whole category of irrational fear, uh, uh, being afraid of chairs. I why i don't know but i'm sure there's people out there that have a fear of chairs um, but it usually comes from that link that you've connected to death uh, for me for years and i still when it comes to snakes uh, it sends shivers up my spine even if i know it's not going to hurt me i don't take off running i just calmly move or move the snake somewhere whatever um and it, it all came from the very first interaction I ever had with a snake uh, before I even knew what a snake was. I'm sure I was like two or three at the time. Um, but just sitting in the yard and I leaned back, put my hands down to lean backwards and rest on my arms. And right underneath my hand, I feel a snake slither right on out from underneath my hand. And I look back uh, quickly to see that thing squirm away. So between that feeling underneath my hands and seeing this weird thing slither away without legs freaked me out. There was no death involved. It was just a garter snake. Actually good to have in the yard, but still it, it freaks you out. And I didn't know what it was. And that link, I'm sure, is still there. I've never been bitten by a snake. Never had any issues with them. Uh, but I don't plan on being around them very often to find out or change that. So... That is that link we're talking about. It has to be a real fear comes from uh, potential death or pain. Um, with that said, think of some of the things that you're afraid of. Uh, for a lot of people, public speaking is a major fear. And why? Is it connected to death and pain? Technically, no. But in a way, yes. And that's why so many people are. It is comes down to that thought process and not so much man maybe nowadays um, if you're speaking in front of a group and let's say you're supposed to know you're a scientist you're supposed to know how this coronavirus is going to work and you get out there and say oh don't worry it'll be gone in a, a couple months when it heats up um, and Lysol will take care of it. just drink some Lysol uh, and then the backlash when you find out that's all BS 
then you're supposed <laughs> doesn't happen but supposed to be dropped off your pedestal and your career and your livelihood is put at risk because you are no longer professional at what you did you, you said it wrong you didn't do your studies and you jumped out ahead and said do this or this might work and being a scientist it didn't and now people don't look at you the same your wealth goes down you you may get fired you may uh, lose wages uh, lose books that you're getting ready to write on this subject and you're proven wrong so it can have a really detrimental effect on your life um, with public speaking so there is that a there is a rational fear behind it um, but at the same time when you kind of weave through there and think it through as to why you're going to find that it's not a necessary fear for most people some people it can be though all right moving on um fear uh, last rule of fear uh it is involuntary phobia worry paranoia are voluntary there is a difference between between those two or potentially a difference between those two um moving on to the next section here how to be freer of fear when you feel fear listen when you don't feel fear don't manufacture it all right um, essentially that becomes worry which is the next one here if you find yourself creating worry explore and discover why uh, recognize fear don't ignore it or explain it away um, Again, this all comes down to just to understanding why things are happening. The more you understand it, the better you're going to be uh, at dealing with it versus just saying, oh, I, I have a fear of chairs. Don't know why. Don't want to think about it. I'm just never going to sit down. Uh, it's not rational. At some point, it's probably good to sit down, but not all the time. Uh, worry is fear we manufacture. We worry because it provides a secondary reward. Worry is a way to avoid change. When we worry, we don't do anything about the manner about the matter. Um, so again, worry is a way we get around things of actually doing something to change it because um, it feels like we're doing something. Worry is a way to avoid admitting powerlessness over something, since worry feels like we're doing something which we're not. We Mentally, we're doing something, but physically, we're not changing anything. Worry is a way to have a connection with others. We feel that worry, uh, feel, excuse me, we feel that to worry about someone shows love, and to not worry means we don't care, which isn't true, but uh, worry is a protection against future disappointment. We feel if we worry about failing something, will be prepared better for the future if it were to happen. Um, I, everybody's had this issue before. I've had this issue. You think of the worst case scenario and go, well, if I can deal with that, then I'll be good. And it seems like that's a good thing, but worry about potential. Uh, I'll talk about that in just a second, by the way. Um, worry about potential negative outcomes rarely ends in a negative. Um, it's most likely to end up as a positive. So instead of worrying about possible negative outcomes, look for possible p 
positive outcomes, uh, several linings, if you will. Uh, you'll find it fosters creativity, and creativity is linked to intuition, and intuition is the way out of most serious challenges. So think positive. That's what it's all about. Um, but yeah, the, there's nothing wrong with looking over the future and going, okay, what could go wrong here? But to only think of that is wrong. You should be thinking about all the scenarios. Be prepared for anything that could go wrong, but focus on the positives. Focus on what could go right, uh, and that fear will slowly subside for you. Um, and uh, that is essentially it for my uh, section of fear. Uh, we've gone through quite a few of these. There's not a whole lot of them left. Um, I'll, I'll finish some of them up. Um, I do want to get into um, some weapons and gun safety, know how to deal with that, uh, some workplace pins, uh, home security, that might be a long one, um, but there's a lot to that one because it's more than just you know, barricading yourself. Um, it talks about going into onto vacations and whatnot. So anyway, um, that is fear. Uh, again, there's a, there's a lot you can, we can talk about when it comes to fear, but um, it's going to be there. Uh, just rationalize and think it through and go, why am I really afraid of whatever it is that's happening? Um, give yourself time to react to things and you'll have uh, the best outcome you can and do take the time to, to work on that breathing. Uh, whether it's martial arts, meditation, this, that, any type of sport, everybody says the same thing. Learn to breathe. If you're not breathing, uh, you're going to mess up your heart rate and that's going to mess up your functionality. So learning how to breathe properly is huge. We, we say it in class all the time. Uh, learn how to relax when you're sparring. Know when to breathe out. Know when to breathe in. Um, there's a time and a place for it. And it's useful. You need that oxygen in there. Uh, we know it. We just don't always think about it. And a lot of times you, when you get stressed or uh, anxious or fear sets in, uh, we stop breathing. Um, and that's the worst thing that's going to happen because it's downhill hill from there. So practice that breathing. Uh, it may sound strange, but uh, you do have to practice on how to breathe, even though it's one of the most natural things you've ever done. Um, there's ways to perfect it and make it better. All right. We have come to the end of this one. Um, I hope you're enjoying these. Uh, I haven't had any feedback from any of them yet, but if you're listening and you agree with something, disagree with something, uh, want me to cover uh, a, um, a topic, um, or if you're a martial artist, uh, especially a, a, a friend or another instructor, um, I'd love to have you come on to the podcast. Um, we're still mostly quarantined right now, so I haven't had anybody over um, lately, but um, I do want to open that up. Hopefully, once things ease up around here, um, I can start getting some more people in, and we can have bigger discussions and get some call-ins and everything. Um, but anyway, I hope you enjoy these. Um, I'm doing the best I can with them. All right.